You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, Jesus is alive, amen? Great being with you guys. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at the church. Years ago, when my wife and I moved to Phoenix, I got a phone call and was invited to come down to the stadium at Surprise, where actually the Texas Rangers uh, have their spring training camp. And it was really funny because I actually didn't know much about baseball. I mean, I like baseball and all, but I just really didn't know a lot about the team or the players or anything. So I was a little nervous, but I got a phone call and, I, you know, the, the, the guy that was over all the Major League Baseball teams and the, as a chaplain um, asked if I, I would come in for an interview uh, to, for, for a position as a chaplain for the Texas Rangers. Dave Murphy was on the team for a number of years and then he's bounced around on different t- teams, and now he's retired. But, you know, I was a little nervous about it, but I decided, you know what, I should do it. And I remember hanging up thinking, I bet this guy d- thinks I know a lot about baseball. I really don't. I, I'm not totally, I don't know anything hardly about baseball other than first, second, third base, you know, home runs. So I go in, I'm really nervous, and the guy asks me these questions. He goes, well, why don't you name a few of the players on the team? And I said, uh, sure, uh, Ruben Sierra. He's like, retired. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, try again. I was like, uh, Nolan Ryan? He's like, retired long time ago. One more. And I said, Jose Canseco. He's like, Oakland A's, no. And I said, see, I'm not your guy. And he says, no, I've heard about you, though. You teach the Bible. And you love people well. We don't need a fanatic fan guy in here. We just need to, a guy that will meet the players right where they're at and share with them about Jesus. One of the first players that came up was Dave Murphy and uh, Josh Hamilton and some of these other guys. And I got to open up God's word and share with them about the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, just like I get that chance to do that with you today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the great opportunity just to share your word. And uh, Lord, I pray in this time that you'd use it to encourage and equip uh, Help people meet you, know you, and follow you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, today's all about the resurrection, Easter Sunday. Um, But before we get into the message, I want to point out one thing. You got this in your seat. Uh, This is a People Want to Know. It's a new message series that I'm excited about teaching. I'm hoping it's my best series uh, starting next week. I'm going to put a lot of time and energy into it, and here's why. Because this is what people want to know. We actually got some research that says uh, when people are Googling about faith, Christianity, and all that, these are the top Google searches that people are doing in this area, like a 10-mile radius from the church. They're asking questions about forgiveness. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? What does the Bible say about love and relationships? What does the Bible say about marriage, divorce, and adultery? Uh, We're going to answer those questions. And you need to know this is a safe place to be, North Valley where we can share with you and show you the love of Christ through his word. One of my favorites is uh, this last one, part four in the series, is about depression, suicide, and mental health. And you're like, why is that your favorite? Well, here's why. Because my dad is actually a Christian psychiatrist. He's a brilliant man. I think he leads one of the uh, most influential, the largest uh, um, Christian clinics in Arkansas. And yes, brilliant people can come out of Arkansas. Okay? He does look a little bit like the Duck Dynasty guy, but he's my old man, and I love him. And so he's coming into town to to be a part of that message. So I want to encourage you. 
This is a safe place to come and learn about who Jesus is and what God's word has to say. The last one is part five about whatever you want. So you can actually email questions in and then we're going to do that. So these are the top Google searches that your neighbors, you guys have been doing online to just figure out, well, what does the Bible say about this? So we're going to do, start that all next week. Okay, well, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at uh, the historian Luke. He's also a physician in the first century, paid by Roman officials to give a historical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the title of the message, Reason to Believe. I'm hoping that this is going to give you some evidence or some reason to believe. Let's read the account, and then I want to talk to you uh, about where you're at today. It says this in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Tomb was empty. It says, verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, two men uh, stood by them in dazzling apparel. Those are angels, we'll find out. And as they were frightened uh, and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, these are the angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? Good question. Like, Jesus is not dead, he is alive. Verse 6, he is not here, but has what? Risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus, 43 times mentioned in the New Testament about Savior being 100% God, 100% man, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. In other words, like Jesus predicted his death. How many people you know do that kind of thing? Jesus does that. He predicts his death, and actually prophets predicted uh, the the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus as well. Verse 8, and they remembered his words, and they, returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven, those are the disciples, the twelve disciples minus Judas, to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with whom, who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, but these words seem to them a what? An idle tale. In other words, a myth, a fabrication, not true. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking. He saw linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. There were some mixed feelings, mixed emotions about this resurrection account. This tomb is empty. Something's just not adding up. These ladies encounter this. I understand for some of you here today, I want to speak to you, those who believe in this account, or maybe it's those of you who wonder. Kind of three groups of people here today. Those who believe, but sometimes wonder. You're a Christian. You believe that what I just read was actually historical fact and documentation of the historical resurrection account, and you believe that. That's where I'm at. But you sometimes wonder, God, there's resurrection power. I don't feel the resurrection power. I believe in this, but I wonder sometimes, are you really working in my life? Where are you in the midst of hard times? Can I really trust all the things in Scripture? Am I really going to see my loved ones in heaven? You believe, but you wonder. Some of you are here today, and 
you're asking this question, you wonder how anyone could believe, right? Yeah, Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, myth, legend, folklore. Here's what I encourage you today. For you, I want to tell you, first of all, you're at a safe place. This, we always structure North Valley where it's a place where skeptics can ask questions. How else are you going to learn about Christianity, the authority of Scripture, and all that unless you have Christian friends or somebody helping you with those questions? My hope is, is that today, for those of you who wonder how anybody could believe this stuff, my hope is, is that maybe today we'll just move you one step forward, just one little step, a little stronger reason to believe uh, that this is true, this historical account. Some of you are here today and you're wondering if you could ever believe again. You've been so far from God. You've been running like a rebel. You're wondering, could I come back home? Would my Lord forgive me? You're wondering if if your faith could be made new again. I want to encourage you, you're at a great place. Today, the scripture that we just read is going to actually help all of us to walk forward with a stronger belief, a bigger belief, a better belief, the best belief in who Jesus is, who he said to be, and there's hope and power in his name. So four reasons to believe in the resurrection based on what we just read. Very clearly laid out in scripture, here it is. First is the empty tomb in the first few verses. The empty tomb's a big deal. Look what it says. But on the first day of the week, that had been uh, Sunday. That's why Christians have been celebrating um, church services on Sunday, because it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. It's the time where this is the historical account of the first Easter. But on the first day of the week, early dawn, that had been between 3 a.m., 6 a.m., and they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. It's a memorial. They're going. They don't really have it all figured out. They're passionate, they love Christ. These are the women that are going. And they found the stone. The stone. That stone was about two tons. That's about the weight of a small car. You got a little Audi or a little Jetta or whatever, you know, a little little Honda. Half half the nation's got a Honda. How many of you guys got a Honda? Raise your hand. A bunch of you. Okay. The rest of you aren't raising your hand because you wish you didn't have a Honda. When I got married, I had to sell my big, bad-to-the-bone GMC truck, and I got a little Honda. Unfortunately, those things go forever. You're like, why don't you die, you little Honda? It just goes on forever. That stone was two, two and a half tons or so, huge. It's rolled away. Um, These ladies likely would have been coming to the empty tomb, um, planning and plotting. Maybe we can talk the guards into rolling this thing away. These guards are Roman soldiers, But look what it says. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The guards were there, but they were knocked out. Other gospel accounts say that an earthquake hit, and the angels appeared. We're going to read about in just a minute. And this stone was rolled away through a supernatural, extraordinary event. But the empty tomb was a big deal. This is evidence to believe, a reason to believe that the resurrection's a real deal. Holly Field. You with me? It's reason to believe that there's a, this empty tomb's a big deal. Some people say, well, maybe they stole the body. Now, let me tell you something. Everybody, I'm talking Christians, non-Christians, scholars, and historians, absolutely agree that Jesus was real, that there was some kind of empty tomb. But the question is, is why is it empty? 
Is it empty because somebody stole the body? That was a big popular belief. Actually, one gospel account says that the guards, they woke up after they were um, this incredible angelic encounter. They run back to the chief priests and the officials and say, hey, 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 the body's gone. Angel showed up. And the chief priests say, here, take a large sum of money, spread a lie, tell them that the disciples stole the body to fake a resurrection. And, and they say, whoa, 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 we're Roman guards. If we fall asleep on the job, I mean, we die. And then they, their response is, well, don't worry, uh, we'll pay off Pilate too. We'll pay off all the Roman officials. And that lie, the stolen body of Jesus, has been perpetuated from that very day. It's been one of the most popular beliefs of atheists and agnostics. Jesus is not really the Son of God. There really was no resurrection. The body was stolen by the disciples. The problem with that is that the disciples, how, what did they do? Overcome the guards and fight these Roman soldiers? These are fishermen. That's why when you see the Christian little symbol of the little fish, they're fishermen. They don't know how to, they're not trained soldiers. They didn't overtake the guards. The empty tomb is a huge reason to believe Maybe this resurrection's real. Some people think, well, maybe Jesus was, um, he was beaten and crucified, but maybe he didn't really die. Maybe he was asleep kind of in some kind of catatonic state and they buried this living guy in a tomb. Problem, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails, leather whip, nine huge 14-inch uh, pieces of leather woven in with glass, fish bone, and steel. Wow, there we go. Woven in with that, and then what happens is, is uh, how many of you guys seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Raise your hand. That movie made a huge impact in our generation. The, act, the lead actor in that role becomes a Christian, became a Christian. Now he's the lead actor in The Apostle Paul, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it. He gives the account when, when they were doing that flogging scene, when Jesus was being whipped, and he accidentally, somehow they got like away from the shield, and one of those leather strands hit his back without the glass, without the metal, without the, and he said it hit so hard, it felt like a Mack truck hit him, and he fell to the ground. There's no way that Jesus was somehow survived the suffering and the crucifixion, being nailed to a cross, which was the most brutal form of capital punishment, was inside that tomb, laid there, and then rolls this large disc-shaped stone that's two and a half tons away from the entrance of the tomb and walked out. And then somehow did some secret ninja moves to beat up the guards and fakes the resurrection. It, that's just not a good idea. The empty tomb is huge evidence. So what's the other possibility? The other possibility is Jesus actually rose from the dead. How about that one? That's the extraordinary account. Look what the angels say. The angels say, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That's not just bling bling. That is extraordinary angelic uh, figures clothed in white, clothed in... There's a brightness. Angels are ministers and messengers of God. Verse 5, and they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. These are the ladies. And, and then these men, they appear like men, but they're really angels. The gospel letter later tells us that. And they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels continue. Look what they say in verse 6. He is not here. He's not here. They were going to a 
a memorial service. But there's nobody there. And the angels say that, they're the messengers. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he is still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and then on the third day, rise. You know what's important about that is that Jesus predicted his death. Luke 9.22, the the ladies are going to start to remember that, that Jesus actually predicted his death. The scripture tells us in Luke 9.22 that the Son of Man, that's the title for Jesus, he is the Savior, 100% man, 100% God, must suffer. Not like he might suffer. Scripture says he must suffer. He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and killed, and on the third day be raised. Why? Why why would Jesus have to suffer? Why does he have to suffer? Why does he have to die? Because God's making a peace offering through the work of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. You and me have a gift. A gift to get right with God. The person and the work of Jesus. Easter services are filled up all around our valley today. And here's why. Because something on the inside of you, something on the inside of me, something's not complete. And until we find that completeness, we're always going to be searching. We're always going to be filling. We're always going to be looking. I just want to tell you, man, when I was 18 years old, I found that something I was looking for. It changed my whole life. That's why I'm here. I'm not here because this is some great job or whatever. I'm here because I've, I've, I've experienced the power of Christ and the love of Christ, and it transformed everything. Just the other day, I got a phone call from one of my buddies that as soon as I became a Christian, I went to him. I said, man, you've got to know Jesus, man. And he was living in a licentious lifestyle, girls, drugs, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole thing. He comes to faith in Christ. My brother, young brother, comes to faith in Christ, and we were like the little three apostles in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> And our lives were changed. Why did God go to the cross? He went to the cross to make a bridge. That cross is a bridge, man. That cross is a bridge between a life separated from God, where you are on one side and God's on the other, and you know you can't approach a holy, almighty, perfect God because you feel the weight, the guilt, the shame. You know your life's not right. But how can you get access there? You can get access through that bridge, that relationship through Jesus Christ. See, the Son of Man is a title for all of humanity. So Jesus takes the representation. He takes the stand. He stands in our place. You've got an advocate named Jesus that constantly is on your side. And so you have direct access to the Holy Father through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look what the Scripture says, that the Son of Man must suffer. That's what the scripture says, he must suffer. God's given an invitation to all of us through this angelic announcement, through the empty tomb, for reason to believe. But there's another reason to believe, it's the women's witness. The women's witness is another reason to believe. Luke chapter 24, verses 8 through 10 tells us that the women, not the men, hello, not the men, you know where the men are? They're at home hiding. Um, where, are the de- where are the apostles? Where are the disciples? Where are these guys? As soon as Jesus got arrested, they ran. They're afraid. Uh, look what it says, though, that these women, 
they remembered the words that the angels were saying, returning from the tomb. They told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. I think it's really cool how God meets the ladies first. It's a very gentleman, heavenly father we have that sends the the Son, Jesus Christ. There's resurrection accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four gospel historical accounts of the life of Christ and his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. And they give different perspectives. And what we find out is that the women are there at the cross. The men are not. There's only one at the cross, John. That's the only guy that was at the cross. The women are all there. They were there at the burial. Now they're here at the empty tomb in the resurrection. The women are the most credible witness. You say to me, well, how, how can these women, their witness of the empty tomb, be a reason to believe? How, how can that be? I'll tell you why. Because you've got to have credible eyewitnesses. You can't have a resurrection or an empty tomb without a death and a burial. Amen? The resurrection is, is, is a real deal, but the women were there at the death when Jesus was crucified on the, on the mountain, Calvary, Golgotha. That's where he was with other two criminals. The Roman guards come up. They give an inspection. Um, two of the other guys that were being crucified there, they weren't dead yet, so the Roman soldiers come along and crush their legs so that the body would drop and the lungs would fill with um, water and, and suffocate themselves. And Jesus, they go up to Jesus, and they see he's already dead. So they thrust a spear into his side, and blood and water come out. Ladies are there. The apostles aren't there, but one. And they are eyewitnesses to this death. So Luke, as a historian, a journalist, somebody who's writing and recording, you need eyewitness accounts. They go in and they see this. They see that Jesus met these women. Not only was, did they witness the death, the burial, but now they've witnessed the empty tomb and other gospel accounts show us that they had encountered the risen Christ. It says that, that these disciples doubt, though. Look what it says. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. You might ask the question of this disciples, how could this be a reason to believe? They thought it was a myth. These are the major leaders of Christianity. They will be. Right now, they're in hiding. And they don't even believe. Why don't they believe? They don't believe because they had false expectations about Jesus as the Messiah. They thought he was going to be a king that would come in, overturn Rome, unite all of the the, uh, tribes of Israel, and be this mighty warrior king. They also didn't didn't take seriously the women. They thought they were potentially... Um, the culture was is that you couldn't have credible witnesses being women in that day. They had a very low value of women. And so they didn't take him seriously. But look what it says in verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths folded up by, or in the cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at all that had happened. Other gospel accounts share with us that these linen cloths are folded up. They're all there. And so if somebody's going to steal a body, you know, if you've ever had your car broken into or your house broken in, those thieves say come in really fast, grab, and then dash. Grab and dash. That's not what happens here. These claws are there. These disciples are doubting, but Peter starts to believe. 
you say to me too, is how could this doubt be an evidence of belief? Here's why. Because the resurrection wasn't some organized event. It was a supernatural event, unexpected. It wasn't a fabricated, uh, organized effort scam. These guys don't understand what's happening. Here's what I want to encourage you to think about is that look at this, Peter. Something's in him. He begins to think. The Bible says that Peter rose and he ran to the tomb and he looked in. And at the end of that, he sees what's the, the clause there and he went home marveling at what had happened. Something started to click for Peter. It reminds me of a story of a guy in our church, Kevin. Kevin grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona with his parents and his older brother. Karen was curious about Christianity, but he would say he was an agnostic. And his wife, Shannon, really had grown up in church or would go to church with friends, but Kevin didn't grow up going to church. And then Shannon had gone to church with her friends, and when they got married, they thought, maybe we should go to church. Maybe we should explore Christianity. Well, it was God working through the wife first, and Shannon saw one of our signs and ended up here at North Valley. And then Kevin started to notice the changes that were going on in Shannon's life and the peace that she was experiencing. And then it was through that time that Kevin started to ask questions about his faith, the validity of Scripture, all that. And when he was at a neighborhood group, his neighborhood group leader, that's a small group that we have, said to him, hey, Kevin, you've told me that you're agnostic. You told me I understand where you're coming from at some level. You need to know that you can belong before you believe everything gave him room to wrestle, gave him room to be a skeptic and say, but you're, you can belong. And it was through that time, it wasn't too much later, where one of his neighborhood group leaders said, why don't we go watch this movie over at the Harkins Theater, Case for Christ? And through that process of exploring the hard truth and the facts of Christianity, something happened. He moved from feelings to facts to a faith, and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't too long after that that Kevin and his whole family was baptized here at North Valley. Isn't that cool? You want to celebrate that? I heard somebody's wanting to clap. There you go. I want to share, share with you that we got to move. Um, you got to understand that some of you came in here today and you have feelings. You have feelings like, man, I feel, well, I'm, I'm, I'm believing and I'm receiving at some level. And you have a feeling. You need to know feelings are important. But, but there's more to our salvation and our relationship with God than feelings. Some of you are exploring the facts. Like Kevin needed to know the facts. That's important. You need to do that. But what's essential for salvation is faith. Faith is the, the means in which we're saved. It's not, you're never going to have all the facts in Christianity figured out, Okay. You're never going to have it all. And you're not, your feelings aren't always going to stay the same. There'll be good days and there'll be some tougher days. Even as a committed Christian, you need to know salvation comes through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You know, when I was uh, uh, exploring Christianity, I remember my friends telling me about Jesus. I wasn't a Christian yet. I was about 17 years old. And my friends kept saying, hey, listen, Jesus invites you. He invites us to experience life. 
I remember him, them telling me that. Jesus is inviting you, Ryan, to experience life. And when I was honest, I would admit I didn't have life. I didn't really have the life that I was hoping. Jesus says these words, I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. And when my friends would share that message with me about what Jesus is offering, sometimes it would annoy me and bother me because I didn't understand. I tried to go to church. I tried to do all the things. And I still didn't have a full understanding of this life that everybody was talking about until these three truths kind of came to me and I understood these things. And I want to share these with you. I needed to come to a place for me to experience God's salvation is to acknowledge my sin. I remember when I was in Colorado underneath the big mountain sky and the stars were there and I couldn't give explanation to all the things that I was looking at. And I was overwhelmed with just the power of creation. And I started to feel so small and I realized this Bible verse right here that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That literally means that we just, no one's perfect. That nobody's perfect and I needed to acknowledge that. And becoming a Christian and being a Christian, I had to understand that I wasn't perfect. I'd missed the mark. I was separated from the love of God and the life of God. Secondly, I had to come to this place to believe that Jesus could forgive me of my sins. I'd done a lot of bad things. I hurt a lot of people before I was a Christian. And people were telling me about the forgiveness of sin and feeling that there's this weight that comes off of us when we place our faith in Christ. The Bible says in Acts 10.43 that Jesus forgives sin. It says everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Some of you today, you need to, you're going to move from a place of maybe carrying a weight and releasing that weight. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. The last thing I remember learning was that I needed to confess Jesus as my Lord. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I remember going home uh, from that trip in Colorado and I confessed with my mouth. And I did believe in my heart that Jesus was Lord. And that changed everything for me. I want to share with you a story of a guy in our church who came from a Buddhist background and came to place his faith in Jesus Christ. Watch this. So uh, my life before Christ was somewhat interesting. I knew I felt like I didn't have a lot of the answers that I was seeking at the time. Um, didn't really have any troubles. Um, I know I was really just more worried about having a roof over my head, food on the table, the lights were on, and uh, that's what I was really just looking forward to, um, but I knew I needed something more. So as you know, and a lot of others, I've came from a Buddhist background. Um, we've had many different beliefs. Uh, one of our core values was to do good, to receive good, do wrong, to result in karma. Another belief was to be reincarnated with the karma you've had before. And um, I told myself and others that I was Buddhist and I, uh, that's what I felt like I believed in but it wasn't really a, a daily practice for me. About two years ago uh, Michelle and Andy Branch invited me to uh, an Easter service. Lacey, my fiance, just kind of pushed me to go, and uh, we ended up going. It was a good service. 
Next following Easter, um, we went to service, and then afterwards, I had the courage to ask Pastor Ryan uh, some questions uh, about Christ and asked if he wanted me. So we did. We met a couple times, and uh, then he finally gave me a phone call, uh, asked me the question if I did want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, and without hesitation, I said yes. He gave me the opportunity to get baptized. Felt comfort. I felt as if I was going to be guided in the right direction. So I stopped really being so afraid to push forward into my faith. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.